This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Crystals of Quartz, a family and female-owned metaphysical shop in Greenwood Lake, New York. Crystals of Quartz is a center for crystals, sound healing, local artists, and more. It is intended to be a safe and magical space for all. Check them out at crystalsofquartz.com and you can use code WITCHWAVE for 20% off. That's www.crystalsofquartz.com. Use offer code WITCHWAVE for 20% off and check them out on Instagram at crystalsofquartz. We at The Witch Wave are so proud to have lots of international listeners, and that's why we are thrilled that Kismet Berlin is one of our sponsors this week. Kismet Berlin is an online modern esoteric shop for the mystically curious in Europe. Their goal is to create an inclusive environment for people on all points of their spiritual journey and practice. Kismet Berlin carries a selection of indie and oracle cards, ethically mined crystals, and handcrafted jewelry and candles. They ship all over the EU and the UK, Norway, and Switzerland. Visit them at kismetberlin.com. That's K-I-S as in sorcery, M as in magic, E-T, berlin.com. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to the Witch Wave. Everybody, I have a whole introduction that I wrote out for you, but I have been interrupted by one of two new feline familiar roommates who have joined my life and Matt's life recently. And um, I have this silver, beautiful, silky boy named Monday on my lap, and he's purring away. So I wanted you to hear a little hello from Monday. (laughs) We named Monday after the day of the moon because he's very silver and very magical. And he came with a little black and white brother whom we named Birthday because Matt and I have lots of names for imaginary pets. And Birthday is one Matt came up with a while ago. And he just thought it would be the best name for a cat because it's just funny and happy and would put a smile on everybody's faces. 
And when we met this little black and white, twinkly little sprite, we just knew that that was his name. He was Birthday. And so his silvery brother became Monday. And uh, they joined us two months ago now when they were two months old. (laughs) They were born on July 13th, little cancer babies, same as the English magician John D, which of course I love. And um, they are mostly the sweetest, most lovey-dovey cats. They're also a little bit naughty, so you might hear them from time to time as I'm still recording from home. So anyhow, thanks for saying hi, Monday, and perhaps you'll hear birthday on the mic one day soon. Now, Monday's purring is very representative of how I'm feeling post-election. This past weekend was spent in celebration with my fellow and sister New Yorkers and with millions, probably billions of people around the world who are also purring and breathing a giant sigh of relief and gratitude that the majority of Americans voted for a brighter, more hopeful, more truthful future. Now, I know this is only the beginning, and we still have so many changes we need to make and actions we need to take to evolve this country into one that is fair, safe, and healthy for all people. But it's important that we also take time to celebrate and relish this moment. The last four years have been brutal in so many ways for so many people, and these last eight months have been collectively traumatizing. Joy and pleasure are not extraneous indulgences. They are necessary to keep us fueled and to remind us what it is we are fighting for. So I hope that you are celebrating along with me and taking some time to rest and revel. I also recommend doing some, you guessed it, gratitude magic. Lighting candles or leaving out offerings to our ancestors, our guides, to spirit is certainly a wonderful place to start But magic making alone will not make the changes we need to sustain this momentum of freedom seeking. I am a both and witch, so I don't believe that spells alone will make the change that we need. Magic is an amplifier. It adds clarity, focus, and energy to our intentions, but we still have the responsibility to apply our attention, resources, and gifts to doing whatever good we can in the visible world, too. Ritual is how we interface with the subtle forces of spirit. Action is how we interface with the material world. And so when we are giving our thanks to spirit, let's pair it with an action, a donation of money or time to the organizations that support black, brown, and indigenous people, and a renewed commitment to supporting the creations made by and businesses run by people of color. It is these communities whose work and votes tipped the scales toward justice and democracy in this election. 
I myself have been sending money to the website that Stacey Abrams and her team have set up at gasenate.com, which helps fund both her voter registration nonprofit, Fair Fight, as well as the campaigns of the two Georgia senatorial candidates that we need to win the runoff elections in January if we want to help deliver a Senate that will support President Biden and Vice President Harris, and I do love saying her title, and pass legislation that will be more progressive, more compassionate, and more just for all U.S. citizens and that will work towards protecting this planet. I've been thinking a lot about my own ancestors, especially during this pandemic. I'm here living the life I'm living thanks to my Jewish immigrant great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents, depending on which branch of my family tree you're looking at. They moved from Eastern Europe to New York City at the turn of the century to flee ghastly anti-Semitism and persecution and build a better, freer life for themselves and their children. Learning more about them and honoring them has become an integral part of my witchcraft and has made me feel more connected to my lineage and my magic. But that American dream story of immigration is not a universal one for those who live here now. This land was first stolen by people who look like me from the indigenous communities who lived here. And this land was worked by enslaved black men, women, and children who were stolen and whose ancestors were stolen by people who look like me from their homeland. The shame and ugliness and pain of all of that theft is every bit as true as the promise and possibility that this country has offered to so many ancestors have so much to teach us and i feel that i'm still relatively early in my journey of connecting more deeply to mine but i believe that no matter who your ancestors might be oppressed people or the oppressors or some combination thereof they have messages for us so that we can all learn and grow and continue to evolve together my guest today, Tayana Lee McQuillar, is a font of wisdom about ancestor work, Black American spiritual history, and so much else, and I am very honored to get to share our conversation with you all. And I am very honored to get to share our conversation with you all. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on the Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Jess writes, Hi Pam and the Witch Wave team. I just wanted to share my first attempt at candle magic, as I thought it was a perfect example of the universe trying to teach me a lesson and highlight my inexperience. Just for some background, I've been very lucky during this period and have been able to keep my job, but my partner who I live with went freelance at the end of last year. He works in the film industry, and as production basically stopped overnight when he went into lockdown, he was out of work for months. 
I did some candle magic to hopefully bring some more work his way, but the universe in her infinite wisdom made sure I got exactly what I asked for. I could definitely imagine her having a good chuckle as this unfolded. He was offered two management jobs at places where he used to work, but he'd worked so hard to go freelance, and we both felt this was a step backwards. Needless to say, in my next attempt, I was much more specific about what I was asking for, with certainly a newfound respect for the workings of the universe and of spirit. Thankfully, this paid off, and he's been offered work on an indie feature for October. The whole experience did give me a good laugh, and I'm looking forward to dipping my toe into some more weird and wonderful witchery. Thank you again for doing what you do, and also Waking the Witch was incredible and will definitely be on a few of my friends' Christmas lists. Stay safe. Hi Jess, I love that story, and I often say that spirit has a sense of humor, and you've illustrated it beautifully with this anecdote. The dark side of that, some people might say, be careful what you wish for, or as I like to say, be careful what you witch for. But this shouldn't scare you or deter you from doing magic. As I've gotten older, it's interesting because I've heard so many different perspectives on how we should craft our spells. And there are some people who say, be as specific as possible and don't leave any room for spirit to have a sense of humor or to misinterpret your intentions. On the other hand, my experience is actually that if you kind of leave a loophole for spirit and say, or... If you have a better idea that will be in service of you and will help me reach my highest potential and help me do the most good in the world, um, it's kind of like a nice little bit of, I don't know, magical legalese, if you will, which helps free me up from feeling like I have to be so perfect and so specific because none of us are perfect and language can always be interpreted in myriad ways. So I love that in your case, you decided to be a little bit more specific and really make your spellcraft a little bit more crisp and have more clarity around it. But for me, it's about making the intentions as clear and crisp as possible, not necessarily the specifics. What do I mean by this? Um, some people, you know, if they're trying to manifest, let's say, a new house that they want to live in, they might drive themselves crazy trying to list every feature the house will have. And, you know, I have a friend recently who did just that. She made a whole list of everything she wanted her dream home to have. And all of those things came to pass. She got this beautiful new dream house. But then she realized, oh, she forgot to say that she wanted a dishwasher and this house did not come with a dishwasher. And she was sort of laughing at herself like, whoops, I should have been more specific. And absolutely, that is one way of looking at magic. For me, that drives me nuts because no human being is capable of <laughs> being perfect or remembering all of the things. And I, I don't think that spirit is malevolent and wants to trick us or, you know, wants to poke holes in our, you know, magical logic or whatever. So that's why 
it just makes me feel better. And remember, I'm someone who lives with anxiety, so disregard this if this doesn't resonate for you. But I'm someone who would rather just give a blanket statement of intention rather than being super duper specific. In other words, if I were doing a spell for a home, sure, maybe I would say I would love a fireplace or I would love a dishwasher, what have you. But I would also add the addendum, please may this home be a space that is safe and happy and a source of love so that I and those around me can reach our highest potential and do the work of magic and compassion in your honor, blessed be. You know, something like that where you're just reminding yourself and reminding spirit why it is you're asking for these things. You know, it's okay to want things. Desire is a really human component of our experience as beings with bodies here on earth, right? So there's no shame in wanting things, but let's all try to align ourselves to our highest purpose, our highest potential, our highest frequency when we're doing our manifestation work. Because if you just ask for things that you want and then you get those things, that's not necessarily the point, in my opinion, of being a spiritual human. Um, I think we ask for the things we want, yes, because they may give us pleasure or safety or health or joy, and all of those things are important, but all of those things are not just about us. We want to be safe and healthy and joyful so that we can then do our work to be more generous, to make the world a better place, to help other people to be of service to something greater than ourselves. So that's just my opinion, but it's really worked for me and it's helped free me up from feeling like I have to get the words perfect or be as specific as possible. So I hope that helps and I'm sending you and your partner many blessings for his new job and your unfolding magical journey. Take care. Now on to my guest, Tayana Lee McQuillar is someone I've admired for such a long time, as she is so smart and so multifaceted. Her work is all about excavation, as her writing focuses on shining a light on Black and Indigenous American spiritual and cultural history. She is the author of Root Work, Using the Folk Magic of Black America for Love, Money, and Success, Astrology for Mystics, and a truly splendid poetic novella called Creole Fire, which imagines a relationship between historical occult figures Marie Laveau and Pascal Beverly Randolph. Tayana is also the creator of two divination decks, the Sibyl's Oraculum, Oracles of the Black Doves of Africa, and the Hoodoo Tarot, both illustrated by Caitlin Foisy. And I should add that the Hoodoo Tarot keeps selling out, so I'm told that you can try ordering it directly from the publisher if you're having trouble finding it elsewhere. 
Tiana also does ancestor readings, and as you'll hear, she comes from a long line of hoodoo practitioners. It is my great pleasure to share our conversation about mindful ancestor work, Black American spirituality, and how poetry and history can go hand in hand. Tiana was on the road when we spoke, so she joined me from a hotel with their spotty Wi-Fi, though we did our best and worked it out via Zoom. Tiana Lee McQuiller, welcome to The Witch Wave. Thank you for having me, Pam. I appreciate it. I am so delighted to have you here. I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for such a long time, and it's a real privilege to get to speak with you today. There are so many directions that we can go in. You are an author. You've created two oracle decks. One is the Hoodoo Tarot, and one is the Sibyl's Oraculum. I also consider you to be an incredible researcher and scholar of Black occult culture and indigenous culture and Black history in general. So when you are describing your work or trying to describe the intention behind your work, what language do you use these days? It depends on who I'm talking to, (laughs) because there are so many different ways to describe so many different things. You know, you read a job description and, you know, it could be the human resources manager versus something else. There are just so many different ways to speak about oneself. I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head. I consider myself a researcher primarily. You know, I'm an inquisitive person by nature, philosophical and a writer. That's pretty much what I am. I don't really know how else to describe what I do and who I am. I'm just a seeker. Mm, I love that. And you are also someone who does readings for other people. And I've had friends who have gone to you for ancestral readings. What does that mean exactly when someone is coming to you for a reading or an ancestral reading? I try to determine what their ancestors want from them, what their latent or unexplored gifts are, and just, you know, kind of give them a sense of what direction they should be headed in according to the ancestors. Now, ancestors are people, right? So you can choose to follow advice on that realm or this one. I mean, it's just no distinction to me between people that are on the other side of the veil, so to speak, and the people that are here. I don't give them a special status unless they've earned it. I understand that some people have a certain understanding about, they elevate people, in other words. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral and stuff, and then all of a sudden, this person that was pretty normal or you know, maybe didn't even live that great a life or had a positive impact. And so suddenly they become an angel. That's just not the approach. I treat people like people. That's kind of the guidance I give people is when you're working with ancestors, don't kind of smurf village them. Don't romanticize the past. Just listen. And you decide if you think that your path is in alignment with what they want, because ultimately you are a free person on the planet. 
When did you realize that you had the gift of being able to connect with your ancestors, let alone other people's? I mean, I know it sounds probably cliche, but I've always had a connection to my ancestors. I've always been interested in the past, just in general, just the ancestral realm of humanity, I guess you can say, because I read encyclopedias growing up just for fun. I was always interested in that kind of thing. And my grandmother, who passed last year, and I did a dedication to her, she kept me very, very much connected to the past. She always talked about people in the family. She kept a lot of stories alive. Because, you know, at the end of the day, all we become is story. Everything is story. Mm. So I always knew that there was no separation. I just didn't know it until I... I guess academically or intellectually, I, you know, got proof, so to speak. But internally, I've always known that they were always present and I knew that I always had access. Now, of course, I had to learn different practices and things like that later, meditation and things like that. But these are things that I always did. As a child, I was told that I used to sit underneath the sink for hours in the dark. People would ask my mother, hey, is there something wrong with Tiana? She's like, no, she's just in there doing what she does. And I remember just sitting there just contemplating. So mm. I share a lot of this kind of stuff on Instagram artwork that I did as a child. And my first book was written when I was five years old. I posted that recently. Wow. So I've always been who I am. This is not kind of this created character that came later or with any particular social awareness or anything. This is just Tayana. Mm. Were you encouraged by your parents or your grandmother to have any kind of religious tradition or spiritual tradition? I guess what I'm asking is, was there resistance to this or was this something that you felt safe expressing as a young person? My mother left me alone. My mother was agnostic. You know, she's just like, well, I don't know what's going on out there, so I'm not going to... <laughs> bully you into believing something that I'm not even sure, you know, is actually happening or whatever. She gave me intellectual freedom 100%. I did not feel pressure. Now, of course, I come from a you know, Baptist Christian family, but, you know, nobody was hardcore. My grandmother was very Christian. She actually prayed three times a day. That was always her practice, but she always knew that that was not the only way to be. She also didn't see conflict with our traditional beliefs or any of that. So she was very open to it. So no, I, I had no problems whatsoever becoming who I am. That is such a blessing because I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to who discover these gifts or feel a pull towards the occult or the mystical and you know, they had to kind of rebel against their religion of origin. So Absolutely. that feels like such a lucky thing. I didn't realize just how special my upbringing was until you meet other people. You realize how good you had, you know. Now, <laughs> does that mean that I wasn't considered weird by, by other people? No, you know, their family members are like, OK, you know, what is she talking about? But in terms of there being like this kind of eye in the sky that's going to hurt me or condemn me. No, I, I didn't. I didn't grow up with that. And I am very thankful for that. Mm, that's wonderful. When the ancestors are communicating with you, what 
form does it take? Is it voices? Is it visions? Is it through your cards? I'd love to hear as much as you feel comfortable sharing, because I know people listen to this and they want to communicate with their own ancestors and they aren't even sure what to look for or what to wait for. Well, for me, it depends on the person. That's funny because sometimes I'll get the urge when I'm about to do an ancestor reading to hear certain music. And (laughs) it's been many times, you know, my daughter will be in the house and she's like, what the hell? You know, it could be heavy metal, it could be blues, it could be jazz, it could be polka. It doesn't matter. Like it'll just come (laughs) to it. It doesn't matter the race, ethnicity or phenotype of the person I'm about to read. But I know that either this person's energy or their ancestor or key ancestor that's trying to come through, it can form like that. It could happen in the form of a sensation could be a vision. I can smell something that's, you know, I ask somebody, hey, is anybody removing nail polish in there? And like, no, Ty, what are you talking about? So <laughs> it depends on the situation. It really does. And as far as people wanting to connect to their ancestors, I mean, I know there's a lot of, you know, books and things out here. They are their ancestors and they need to understand that they already have it. I don't know how many science fiction movies have to come out and spiritual kind of metaphysical films that teach you you know, the Matrix or the never-ending story, you already there. The Wizard of Oz, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, she had to go through all that bull just to realize that she's already got it. Yes. You already have it. All these things are nice, don't get me wrong. But if you, you know, don't pay attention to this fizzle and not the stake here. And I see people are constantly going off, you know, thinking they have to purchase it or it has to look or sound a certain way. Stop, turn off the television, man. I think that's such an important message. I, I believe that to be true for magic in general as well. It's it's inside us. It's our birthright. And certainly there are so many different tools to learn about and skills and methods. Absolutely. And I do believe in study. And I know that you're a very rigorous scholar yourself, but I think that's a wonderful reminder that people already have it inside them. And I think that because of the culture we grew up in, you know, it's a capitalist culture. It's like, okay, in order for things to be real, they have to be big. They have to, you know, look a certain way. I mean, I don't know how many times people have told me I don't look like a scholar. I don't look spiritual, whatever. You know, I'm I'm not dressed like Erica Badu or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it has to be in a certain (laughs) package. Okay, I have a leather jacket and I have a Marilyn Manson T-shirt. That's not what a scholar looks like or whatever. You know, I just don't play these kind of games. I'm going to yep. be myself. And if you need these kind of things, if you need what I call the uniform of what it means to be a Black woman and be spiritual or whatever, then, you know, we're just not on the same page. It's not that they're less than or whatever. I just don't follow these kind of things. I love that. So let's talk about the incredible decks that you've developed. You have the Hoodoo Tarot and more recently, the Sybil's Oraculum. So I'd love to know, there are so many different decks out there. You felt called to create two of your own. What was it that you were hoping to accomplish? Let's start first with the Hoodoo Tarot. Why did you feel pulled to create this beautiful deck? Okay, so let's reverse that. The Sybil's came out before the Hoodoo Tarot. The <gasps> Hoodoo Tarot this year. It um, did? Whoa. Yes, ma'am. See? Yeah. 
I made a mistake and I sit corrected. So that's great. Let's start with the Sybil's oraculum. Thank you for correcting me. Sure. I've always been interested in ancient times and specifically ancient Egypt and ancient Rome, which I always found fascinating. Rome, because growing up in New York City, seeing the buildings, the court buildings down in Wall Street area, I mean, these are Roman temples, right? You have gods and things like that. And I've always been very aware of symbolism. And they used to call America New Rome, right? Mm. Because of that interest in history, I'm like, why are they calling it New Rome? I need to find out about Rome. At any rate, that's the seed of it, I guess, in the past. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to alert people to the fact that Rome was not a monolith or the ancient world or the understanding of the spiritual nature of the ancient world was not a monolith. It was not all male. It wasn't all, all the power, rather, I should say. Didn't rely with the images. It wasn't in sync with the imagery we often see. It was diverse as any major city is now. And I wanted to honor African women that were a huge part in making the culture what it was and directing that culture spiritually and, and assisting people in power with their spiritual gifts. So a lot of people were not aware of that. And recently, as I said in the book, there have been conversations for, for centuries pretty much about this, but it takes a while for the mainstream things to go pop, right? For certain information to go pop. So I was just trying to assist that. I love that. Listeners who have heard my conversation with the pagan pioneer Phyllis Curat recently are going to remember that she really fell in love with this statue in the Metropolitan Museum of the Libyan Sybil. Mm-hmm. And I was not as familiar with the Libyan Sybils until I first saw that statue myself many years ago. And your Mm -hmm. book and your deck really helped illuminate this tradition of these incredible seers and priestesses from North Africa who predate the Oracle of Delphi. They predate pretty much all of the other seers and prophetesses that have become so famous. What drew you to the Libyan Sibyls and what would you like people to know about them? Well, you just said basically (laughs) exactly what I wanted people to know about them, that they simply exist. Now, how you interpret that information, it depends on a person's path, whether you want to go with the feminist angle or you want to go with the African angle, whatever. You know what I mean? I'm not going to really try to dictate how people are supposed to process what I did. I just wanted people to know that it happened. See, that's Mm -hmm. the first step. You have to know that something happened. You have to know that certain histories have been erased in order for you to even begin to have a conversation that's meaningful. You can't have a meaningful conversation if you're still talking about fairy tales or things that didn't happen and still kind of going from the narrative that you've been given. So that's really what I want people to know, just simply that these things happened These histories happened, these people were there, and this is what they accomplished. This was my way of paying homage to that tradition. I also wanted to stop this separation 
between so-called North and Sub-Saharan Africa, which has always annoyed me, but it continues to this day Mm. because there was no separation. People have been immigrating and migrating since time immemorial. So it's really insulting when you do the whole Sub-Saharan thing with mm-hmm. Africa. So that was also a way to create awareness of that, to create awareness that the majority, the vast majority of Greek and Roman gods have their origins, not in Europe, but in Asia and Africa and other locations, just to kind of bring it home. You know, so it's sort of like my period and the end of my whole ancient history obsession, at least in that part of the world, because now I'm on a different journey. I'm So that was just kind of my great finale, I think, in terms of that. I feel satisfied after producing that. A lot of people have gotten a lot of information like yourself, and I'm really proud of it. It is such a beautiful deck. Also, I want to talk about the artwork of the deck itself, which is done by someone I know, Caitlin Foisey, who's an incredible witch and artist. So what kind of collaborative direction did you give Caitlin with the artwork? What were you hoping the imagery would convey in this beautiful deck? I wanted it to feel old. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I wanted it to feel like these cards were found on an excavation, during an excavation. And she did that. She pulled that off, I think, very, very well, because like you said, she's phenomenal and She's a great person. She could do it. I knew she could do it. And I also didn't want any people to be represented in this deck. It's all symbols. It's all just for you to, or for the reader to interpret. Of course, I gave a guide, right? Because people would probably dig it if they got the book and it was just like, hey, do what you want, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the power of symbolism is, I'm just going to give you a little taste or a little, a little bit of information but people, I've, I've seen amazing interpretations that stem from, you know, they just kind of went on their own thing and did their own thing. Just the altars that people have created. You know, you can do what you want when you understand the purpose of symbol is not to be chained by it. Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't want people per se, you know, to be a part of this deck. I just wanted the machinery of the time, the herbs, the fauna, the, the flora, the everything to be represented on the cards. Yes. And the style that you both chose, this mosaic style, it looks like very old tile, like the kind of either the walls of temples or the floors of some ancient city. It's really evocative and magical. And then each card has a different concept. You have a card for transformatio or transformation. I'm just pulling randomly here, so we'll see what what wants to come through speculo or mirror here's one prioritizing so these wonderful kind of archetypal forces or concepts that really are just about being human right they kind of span all cultures they're very universal and yet the deck feels very very rooted and specific in that time period and that part of the world it's it's very magical thank you so much appreciate it i have no idea what it was like and i say that in the book i don't know what it was like to live back then neither does caitlin right we just wanted to give a feel that we could understand Right. So I don't feel like I represented 
them (laughs) or that time because I have no idea what it's like to be in that time. But I just wanted to bring you as close as I could based on all the imagery that we've seen and how we've interpreted it and giving a new perspective on what we've seen and interpreted. That's all. Well, it's so exquisitely done. And the deck, I really can't recommend it more highly, absolutely as a divination tool, first and foremost. But the beautiful history lesson that you write in the accompanying book was so illuminating and I think a really important part of human history that just doesn't get acknowledged to your earlier point. And let's just call it what it is. You know, this is a part of history that has been whitewashed and that has been erased so often because of colonialism. A lot of people think about antiquity and the classics or classicism as these very European white corpuses of knowledge. And as you stated, those guys were borrowing and learning from older cultures and and cultures that were part of this black and brown ancestry. So I really appreciate the work and the scholarship that you brought to this deck. I'm really grateful for it. Thank you. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Look, it's hard enough grappling with our own emotions under ordinary circumstances, but even more so when the world is going through massive collective challenges. I am so grateful for my therapist, and even though I've done sessions in person for years, I've been pretty amazed at how effective online therapy has been for me right now. And so I can heartily recommend BetterHelp, an online counseling service which can provide you with your own licensed professional therapist to talk to via video or phone sessions. So if you have anxiety issues like I do, or are dealing with depression, stress, trauma, grief, or even just day-to-day struggles with your relationships or your family, or just feeling like you're not meeting your personal goals right now, which let's be honest, has been very difficult for most of us these days, I really encourage you to reach out to the folks at BetterHelp. They will connect you with a counselor that you can start chatting with in under 24 hours. Now, a few things I really appreciate about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, plus they offer financial aid to those who qualify, and they make it super easy to change counselors so you can find one that you really click with. Best of all, Witch Wave listeners, that's you, get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash witchwave. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash witchwave. I believe that all human beings can benefit from therapy. I certainly have myself, and I'm so glad that it's becoming more accepted and more accessible to do so. 
So please pop over to betterhelp.com slash witchwave and find a great counselor to talk to. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient care, and you, my friend, deserve that. I gotta say, I was so spoiled recently because I got a giant care package from Wishcraft Goods. Wishcraft Goods creates home decor and accessories to support your modern spiritual practice. Wishcraft's creations honor the balance of light and shadow, the moon in all its phases, and the personal power ignited by spiritual seeking. Each piece is lovingly designed and crafted by art witch Maggie Wilhite in her backyard studio in Austin, Texas. And I've got to say, Maggie has such talent and such taste. I love her designs. They are super stylish and fresh and unique. And I was completely bowled over by the mugs and trays and tarot bags and so many other goodies that she sent my way. Wishcraft's goods include pouches and tote bags for your tarot cards, crystals, and other magical treasures, trays and bowls for your altar, crystals, or jewelry, witchy enamel pins and durable vinyl stickers, mystical mugs for whatever brew you're sipping on, inspiring wall hangings and printable digital downloads to adorn your sacred space, and designs that feature magical creatures like cats, wolves, mermaids, owls, unicorns, and more. Best of all, get this, shipping is always free with no minimum. So go ahead, shop online at wishcraftgoods.com. And let me spell that out for you. That's wish, like make a wish, W-I-S-H, craftgoods.com. And follow at wishcraftgoods on Instagram. And if that's not enough, you can also use offer code WITCHWAVE for 15% off your purchase. So go on ahead to wishcraftgoods.com and use offer code WITCHWAVE for 15% off today. Welcome back to the Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Tiana Lee McQuillar. So Tiana, we talked about your first deck, the Sybil's Oraculum, and you then created the Hoodoo Tarot, which follows the structure of the tarot deck that many of us are familiar with. But then you kind of put your own twist on it in addition to honoring different hoodoo practitioners throughout history. You also reinterpreted the suits. You have sticks, baskets, needles, and knives for the minor arcana, which I I find really evocative. So how did the hoodoo tarot come to be? What made you want to bring this into the world? 20 years ago, or almost 20 years ago, I wrote a book about hoodoo called Root Work. And it was written before kind of Root Work went pop. Before that book, most of the books on Root Work were kind of written by folklorists from outside of the culture, or it was kind of academic-based or condescending articles about Negro superstition. So I wanted to kind of update the conversation and, you know, I got a lot of pushback for it, you know, from family and other people that didn't want me to write about it, but I felt it was necessary. 
primarily because a lot of people don't consider America, first of all, as an ancient land, which it is, and definitely don't associate Black Americans with having any kind of philosophy or having any kind of spiritual power, you know, that's kind of reserved for Africans, continental Africans or Africa and Caribbean Black people. I wanted to bring it back home and let people know that we have a lineage, we have a tradition that is as powerful, you know, as anyone else and deserves attention like anyone else. So that's where it all began. And because in the last uh, about 10 years, you know, root work has gotten popular again. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, maybe it's time to update, you know, the information, primarily because I'm wiser now. I'm also not restrained by you know the factors that were restraining me before I was young I was afraid and I'm totally okay with admitting that I didn't want to rock the boat too much you know but all these kind of things are behind me now and I don't have any kind of academic expectations or people you know I had mentors and stuff at school that didn't want me to say certain things or I had to say things a certain way and all that is behind me now what were you afraid of, Tiana? What were you trying to overcome? Just claiming America is very revolutionary. American Black people are often encouraged to just kind of, in my opinion, throw away their specialness, their uniqueness, and to embrace everyone else. And in doing that, they are asked to erase what is specific to them alone mm-hmm. or to just always think or seek other people, other lineages for power, for validation. And that was kind of difficult to, you know, kind of say everything that I wanted to say because of the pressure to just dissolve into this pool of Blackness and ignore what we were told specifically. And our specific experience here in this country And that pressure, you know, I felt very intensely, Mm. not even from outside, but just within the community. I've still received hate mail for the Hoodoo Tower, people that didn't want it to happen. Okay, and this is something that probably a lot of people are not aware of, you know, especially that are not black Americans. They don't realize that these kind of conversations are happening. You know, we talk about colorism and all this other kind of stuff. But there's no discussion about just how desperate Black Americans are to ignore or erase their own lineage. Mm. I've noticed a lot of self-proclaimed witches who are Black are starting to, or have been for many years now, been leaning more heavily into like African diaspora traditions, which I think is really, really beautiful. But I know that hoodoo is a distinctly American way of practicing spirituality or magic or however you might define it. So was some of that part of what you were having to navigate as well? Absolutely. Like you said, there are a lot of different traditions that have gotten a lot of publicity because of pop stars music, videos, and you know, all these other kind of things, you know, and, and the propagation of ancestors, just like kind of speculative ancestors, though. And people are really heavy into Kemet, aka ancient Egypt. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much been like the majority of 
quote unquote black spirituality, the conversation, right? Yeah, it's so the desire to kind of lump hoodoo in with all of these traditions. You know, I don't care what people do. Like, let me just say that. I really could care less what people do. But that was the part of making the hoodoo towel is just to remind people of the actual tangible bloodline ancestors, okay? Your great-grandmother was not whoever you're trying to make her. She was named Annabelle Johnson, most likely. Mm -hmm. And she was in the South or she was in the North, wherever she was, but this is not who she was. If this is really about ancestor veneration, in my opinion, I think we should, first of all, know who the hell our ancestors are for real. And we should honor what they were doing. They were not all enslaved. You know, just get out of the mainstream narrative in general. That's basically my message. And the Hoodoo Tower, a lot of people have contacted me. I had some haters, you know, that's always comes with the territory. People always want to talk, mm-hmm. right? I don't care about that. <laughs> but I also, I got more positive or received more positive feedback. Like, wow, this really feels like home. I'm actually seeing my family as they exist, what they eat, you know, what they drink, the sayings, you know, proverbs and just the way they process information. They are seeing themselves as themselves, not like I said, a fantasy ancestry or fantasy lineage or just kind of communal ancestors that they've adopted, King Tut or whatever, Nefertiti, whatever. Okay, you're seeing your, your fifth great grandmother in the day. Mm-hmm. You're seeing your great your fifth great grandfather in the day. You're seeing a combination, the actual combination. There is no separation between white America, so-called white America and black America. When I say white America or black America, I'm talking about people that were here or their ancestors were here prior to the 19th century. I do too much genealogy and too much history to let that happen. It's a lie. And it's something that people continue to propagate because we all have the same ancestors. Mm-hmm. Now, the, of course, the narrative is that if you are a so-called black person and you have white ancestry, that has to be a rape involved or some kind of, you know, kind of story going with it. But guess what? People had sex. There's a lot of denial there that people just wanted to get it on. People have always got it on. Okay? <laughs> and this is part of the suppressed history. And I just don't play these games. Again, I just don't go with the regular narrative because there's too much information. And that's why I try on Instagram to share it. Because, you know, if I just say it, people are like, oh, that's her opinion. No, I'm putting sources. I'm putting, you know, books that you can look up and stuff that people... Obviously, this information is not new. I'm not putting out anything new. All I'm doing is reminding people of what actually happened, okay? Like I said, I've been doing uh, genealogy research. I've been doing it for like two years, and I've contacted people, people saying that their ancestors were Greek or Italian or Spanish or Jewish or whatever, and it's like, no, bro. We have the same fourth or fifth grade grandparent. That was just a light-skinned Negro that was passing. See, this is the stuff that we don't want to talk about. And the Hoodoo Tarot is about bringing all of it back here. This is the motherland for many of us. Mm-hmm. Lineage, blood. And that is the conversation that I'm trying to have with people. It's not to knock people for, you know, going into whatever African traditions. That's not my affair. Mm-hmm. What I'm concerned about is preservation of what's here. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Can you talk about your research methodologies? Like what went into the hoodoo tarot in terms of your own scholarship and excavation? Well, first and foremost, it was my elders. You know, I have 
one of my cousins is actually in the deck. She's Miss Robinson. Mm. She's quite a character. <laughs> anyway, I have family members. My paternal grandmother was a root worker, and I have quite a few relatives that, that have transitioned now. This has never gone away. A lot of our families, when they moved from the South during the so-called Great Migration to you know the West Coast, the East Coast, you know the North, you know they lost a lot of these traditions because they tried to prove that they were no longer backwater so-called country. And then, you know, they, they wanted their kids to have an education, right? So that meant cutting off all these so-called superstitions that have been shamed out of their traditions and stuff like that. There are some families like my own, you know, that still retained a lot of information. We had to whisper about it because at some point, this kind of information or claims of knowing this information can cost you your life mm-hmm. or more commonly your reputation. Nobody wants to marry the Jenkins girl if they know that you're going to shrink their penis or whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, the, you know, yes, whatever. Yes, the, yes. You know, you don't want to deal with people like that. You're good upstanding people. And most root workers would, if you ask them if they're root workers, I was just talking about this earlier. I had a cousin, I posted about her on Instagram. She did root work from the 1940s up until 2012 when she finally became too old and sickly to do it. And she was in South Carolina. And if you ever said the word hoodoo, root work, anything, she'd look at you like you're crazy. Mm -hmm. She would say, I don't know what you're talking about. I just help people out. I'm a counselor, whatever. They would use every other kind of term. So what's happening now, because root work and hoodoo has gone pop, a lot of people are going to their elders talking about, what you know about hoodoo? And the ancestors are like, what are you The elders are saying, what the hell are you talking about? We don't know nothing about that. The language has changed. It changed when they went up north or it changed. Even in the South, it changed because you didn't want to be associated with kind of inferior practices or primitive mm-hmm. beliefs. Mm-hmm. So there may be root workers in your family. You may be looking at your aunt that's 70 plus years old or 80 plus years old. Yes, she knows about what you're talking about, but you're not asking the question right. Yes. She was socialized early on not to respond to the way you got everybody's out and proud and doing all this stuff now, but you have to understand that's very recent. Yes. Like I said, I wrote my first book in what was it, 2003? People was, what do you, what? What do you write? What? (laughs) The reaction I got in 2003. Mm -hmm. So now, just because it got cute in the last couple of years, now you want your elders all of a sudden to, you know, go against everything that they know. That's that's insane. No, they're not answering these questions. It's so interesting, Tiana, because what you're talking about with the language of hoodoo and root work, I know similar things are happening with words like bruja and brujeria. Certainly the word witch is something that nobody wanted to claim for themselves for, you know, most of modern history up until, I mean, it's certainly gotten much more trendy in the last 10 or so years. And there have been other waves of that word being reclaimed by Wiccans and many other folks like that who were trying to revive some old religion, even though we know that there's a lot of complication around all that. Suffice it to say, I find it really exciting to see these words be reclaimed and celebrated. But I think it's an important reminder that you just gave us that 
people who are older than us, our elders, our ancestors might still not want to be called those words because they have such negative associations. And it could be something that would make their lives at risk or their names at risk. So thank you for that. That's really important context, I think. Thank you so much for acknowledging that because, you know, I know that it had nothing to do people saying that people were ashamed of them. There's nothing to do with that. I mean, we all have to exist in this world. We all have to pay bills. We have stuff to do. And your reputation, like I said, it's all story. Your reputation is a story. Mm -hmm. That's why you don't like people talking about you and spreading lies because it's a story involved. Your name is everything. Everybody's going in that ground Mm -hmm. at some point. Okay, or burn you up or whatever your people do. And at the end of the day, all you have is what narrative goes with that name that you carried while you were in the flesh. So it's not as simple as people are making it. Just because, like I said, it's so important to people nowadays to flounce about with terms and all this other kind of stuff. You know, it's a total disconnect with the past. It's a total disconnect with the people, the elders that are here that need to be reclaimed. They weren't ashamed. They survived. And just because you didn't have to survive or you have the luxury to be able to say these things. And in some cases, not even a revival. Most people don't have this in their lineage. And I discussed that as well. I mean, I'm not saying things that are popular. It's not sexy. It's not part of the feel good kind of rhetoric that's going around. A lot of people don't have this in their lineage. Everybody used herbs at a certain point. Going to the doctor was something that was a a big time privilege. Yeah. And that's if you wanted to go to the doctor at all, since they were cutting people up and putting leeches and all kinds of shit. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You going to grandma, you going to grandpa, the dude down the block that knows what they're talking about. That's the whole point is, Everybody was doing that, the exoteric aspect of herbalism or whatever it takes to say. There's so many different ways of root working. Everybody was boiling something. <laughs> but it's the way or the reason you were boiling it. There's an esoteric side of root work and there's an exoteric side of root work like everything else. But not everybody was servicing people or giving people esoteric or spiritual advice, telling you to go off into the forest to think about things and then pray on it for a certain amount of time while you fasted and all that kind of thing. Everybody does not have. And people are thinking because of the kind of pop culture kind of thing that's going around that everybody was doing it like that. So we have to reclaim, reclaim what hmm. is it in your lineage? Okay, and if it's not, maybe it's not supposed to be practiced anymore. I spoke to a woman when I was doing the research for the Hoodoo Tarot, and I promised her not to reveal her identity, but she's a relative of one of the practitioners in the book. And she said, I think this is a whole lot of nonsense. If it was meant to be in your family, then it would still be there. It wouldn't matter if you moved north or anywhere else. But some people don't want to, they think that the desire is enough to justify what they're doing. And that is not the traditional way. Again, she wasn't knocking people. She just was was spitting some real old school knowledge that people don't want to hear. The desire is not enough. It died because it was meant to die. She has several children. She said most of her children are not interested in resuming the family practice. 
but there's one child that wants to. And she said that child doesn't have it, Hmm. period. Hmm. And she knows that once she dies, then the child is probably going to do what they want to do anyway. And because they are tied to this famous person, people are automatically going to think they have the mots and all this other kind of thing. And she said, that's going to be a damn shame because she don't know what she's doing. What was that word? The mots? I I, I guess I'm an 80s kid. That was... (laughs) Is that... I just couldn't (laughs) hear it. No, she put apple juice. Oh, the mots. Apple juice. Like apple juice. (laughs) (laughs) I love that expression. That's the whole point is that, you know, so even if you have the lineage, this person does because, you know, this person is a descendant of a very powerful root worker, but that person still don't have it. She can absolutely prove it. Then everybody's going to go paying them all kinds of money. And she don't know a goddamn thing. Yeah. Not because she doesn't have information, intellectual information. It's because she doesn't have it. The juice. It's in the blood. And I've explained this. People don't want you to know. That's kind of popping this thing out. Mm. There are three ways. You inherit it. That's one way. And there's another way that you can have a vision. The spirit calls you to do Mm -hmm. it, which usually comes with some kind of traditionally is associated with, you know, headaches and other kind of physical phenomenon that's not pleasant. Or you are born with physical signs. Mm-hmm. like six fingers or things like that. Mm-hmm. Or you were born blue. In my case, everybody in my father's family was born blue or have multiple digits. Mm-hmm. Or you were born with a call over your face, meaning you, your face was encased in a membrane yep. when you were born. Yep. But now because hoodoo has gone pop, they have totally erased all these other things. Now everybody's called to the spirit because that's what you can't prove, baby. <laughs> okay? So what are you going to say when everybody says they call to the spirit? You know what I mean? It's, it's a lot of exploitation of the tradition because there's no accountability. Nobody wants to ask. You know, with these other spiritual traditions, whether it's voodoo or any form of Orisha worship or whatever, you could ask somebody, where were you initiated? Who taught you? Whatever. I just posted about this on Instagram. But somehow with American Negro tradition, no one cares about it. All you got to do is throw on a head rag, call yourself something fancy and say that, you know, but nobody cares about our lineage. Mm. Nobody asks who taught you? How are you this thing? Mm. Because we don't matter. Okay. This is something that I've tried to make public and to alert people to. It's disrespectful because it is an erasure. Some people get upset. They say that they are root work or whatever. What is your lineage? Mm. Mm. Why are you asking me that? Oh, I was called a spirit. Blah, blah, blah. They get upset. Mm-hmm. It's okay for any other people to be questioned about how you know because they are valued in essence. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And the Hoodoo Tarot, I want it again to bring it home. Our lineage matter, not just our lives, not just because somebody's getting busted upside the head by the police. What about our heritage? Mm-hmm. As American, this is our motherland. For a lot of us, and that's where we can talk about my research there. Yes. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. I am obsessed with Zoo's incense, which is why I am so excited to announce that I have partnered with them on an exclusive Witch Wave incense blend just for you. The Witch Wave blend is inspired by Artemis, goddess of the moon, the hunt, the wild. 
It contains sandalwood, aris root, myrrh, black storax, mugwort, ambrette seed tincture, and organic ylang-ylang essential oil. And I cannot tell you how fun and magical it was to collaborate with the folks from zoos and come up with this blend for you. You can order your Witch Wave Incense Blend by going to witchwavepodcast.com slash shop, and you'll see it there. And this is a small batch, limited edition, so we'll see how long it lasts. I also want to encourage you to go to Zeus's site and order their incense from them directly because they are so incredible. They have nine incense blends currently available, and they are handmade and hand-rolled, all natural, and all of their ingredients are organic or wild-crafted and made with whole plants, seeds, roots, woods, tree resins, and tinctures. Zoos also offers hand cast, concrete burners, charcoal, raw aromatics like frankincense and myrrh, and incense supplies. Check it all out at zoosincense.com, and if you use promo code WITCHWAVE, you'll get 10% off. So that's right, you've got two places to go. One is witchwavepodcast.com slash shop to get our exclusive Artemis-inspired Witchwave incense blend. And you can get everything else over at zoosincense.com. That's Z-O-U-Z incense.com. And use offer code witchwave for 10% off everything else. Thank you, Zoos. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Tiana Lee McQuiller. So, Tiana, you touched on the research that you're doing in America right now, and I would love for you to share more about what's been fascinating you or infuriating you or inspiring you with your work. Where are you at with your research today? My primary goal has been just to stay somewhat functional amidst many personal tragedies in my life or changes. You know, that's been one, just being centered. But genealogy research has been my primary focus, just bringing it back to me. Part of that is because I've been losing so many elders, so many old family friends. You know, I just can't even count at this point. Mm. And it all started in 2017. I've had a successive wave of people that have transitioned. So by myself getting, you know, more mature and like all these people that's always been there, you know, kind of leaving, I got inspired to really dig deep into my family research. And that's pretty much where I've been intellectually for about two years amidst all of the other things, all the other projects that you mentioned. They all relate in some way, especially the Hoodoo Tarot and Creole Fire. Yeah, that's primarily where I've been and also encouraging other people to don't wait until it's too late. Find out who your people are, especially if you are the type to want to practice, you know, ancestor veneration of any kind. First, know who they are. That's like the biggest offering, you know, save the chicken and the rum and the water and all that other stuff and just find out who they are. Mm -hmm. We have thousands and thousands of grandparents by the time we get to the ninth generation. And that's a blessing if you can get that far. But, you know, you have hundreds just recently 
And I think people tend to forget about that. No matter what you look like, trust me when I tell you everybody in your family tree is not going to look like that, honey. <laughs> okay. And they're not going to be from where you think they're from. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been in genealogy groups and things of that nature for the past two years, diverse ones and some specific to certain regions or whatever. And people are often shocked that they find ancestors in places that they never expected to find them. So that is part of spiritual practice. Genealogy to me is a very big part of my spiritual and my ancestor veneration. Every single time I go on Ancestry or I go on any of these sites, I say a prayer or I have a brief meditation, like, please help me help you. And I need to know who you are. Help me to find you. I don't give a damn if they told me I would never find you. You'd be surprised how many people they, you know, I was, that was the narrative, especially being a so-called black person in this country. I was told that everybody was going to be a slave and nobody could be found Mm -hmm. and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. And it's all been one big fat lie. Now, have some people been harder to find than others? Of course, but that, that doesn't matter who you are. White, black, blue, or purple. Yes, I can speak to this personally because one of the gifts of the last seven months of pandemic and having a little more time in my hands is I've been rolling up my sleeves and doing my family's genealogy and we're of Jewish ancestry. And I have always been told that it's going to be really hard for us to find any information about people before they came over to New York City, that, you know, all the records in Eastern Europe have been destroyed. And, you know, it's just a big mystery. And I've always felt a lot of grief around that, honestly, Tiana, and some envy. My husband, he's a he's a lovely man. He is a white dude from Western Europe and his family line and stories go back and back and back. And there are all these stories from his family. And my family just doesn't have a lot of that, you know. But to your point, I dug into Ancestry.com. This is not an advertisement for them, by the way, but I was really surprised by, like, there were some incredible records. I found out about addresses of where my great-grandparents lived. You know, I got new names, new connections, and it's like you're being a detective for your own past. And it's really deepened my spiritual practice. It's made me more connected to Jewish mysticism. These are all things mm-hmm. that I want to explore more, not just in my own life, but on this show. And it's been so powerful. So I think your message is really important for everybody to hear, no matter what their background is. Absolutely. And like I said, if you think people don't want to deal with it, you know, they're afraid of the pain. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of discovering that maybe, you know, grandma got a groove on and, you know, it's not true or whatever. whatever. A lot of stuff comes up. I found out about secret families on the other side of town doing the research and distant relatives. I found, I think, about six cousins that I was already Facebook friends with. And I discussed that on Instagram as well, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's just deep. But if you approach it like, okay, reconcile before you begin that you may discover something that you may not like or whatever, and just approach it as a spiritual exercise, no different than lighting candles or whatever you're already doing. This is just another way. And trust me when I tell you, even if you do find something painful, you will be enriched. And you also get an opportunity to address issues because you may find that there are certain habits or something or certain narratives in your family. Now you understand where it came from. Mm -hmm. 
uh, where it may have came from, let's put it that way, where it started for you. We're not talking about, like I said, big societal things and op-eds and all this other stuff. It becomes more personal and also ties you to history. History is not just, oh, I'm not into that or whatever. You are actually there because when you do this kind of research and you do this practice, you have cemented yourself in time. These things are not abstractions or something to think about during certain history months or whatever. Yes. This is really, really real for you. It becomes so real. And it also brings you together, like I said, with other people. I've discovered, you know, relatives with different phenotypes. All I want is the truth at this point. No more theories, no more ideologies, no more anything. I just want what was real. Mm -hmm. And it also will help people to accept other people when you get all of these things out of the way and just focus on your people, focus on your family. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cement yourself in the soil. I'm noticing that like the hourglass is running out of sand in terms of the time that we have to talk to each other, Tiana. But I would mm -hmm. be remiss if I did not talk about a book of yours that I love so much. It's called Creole Fire. You mentioned it earlier. And when, when we're talking about history and in the importance of shining light on the parts of our personal stories or our collective histories that don't often get light shown on them, I think what you've done in this book does a great service to American history. And this is a poetic historical fiction novella that imagines the life and times of the American Black occultist Pascal Beverly Randolph. And this is someone who first came to my attention via the book Occult America by Mitch Horowitz. And mm -hmm. my mind was blown. I had never heard about this, this person and what an incredible human being. So in our final few minutes, can you tell us a little bit about who Pascal Beverly Randolph was and why you decided to imagine him having this magical love affair with Marie Laveau, the voodoo priestess of New Orleans? Um, well, I'm a romantic. <laughs> <laughs> they were both alive at the same time. I just imagined that they would run into each other and then my imagination kind of just took over. But there's no proof whatsoever that they ever encountered each other. But I had to talk about him because he's been ignored. He's the grandfather of a lot of what we associate as New Age and Rosicrucianism and you know, he just contributed so much to the occult world to be whitewashed or erased, more often erased than whitewashed. But uh, a part of that is also because of him. And he had quite a bit of identity issues and conflicts in terms of identity. At least that's how it's written. Who knows? He probably would tell people to go fly a kite with that one. Based on what I know, <laughs> I like his spunk. He, he was fearless about being himself, you know, to other people. He's very vulnerable as well. That's what attracted me to him. He was just such a powerful person, but he, he was just ahead of his time. He wasn't getting what he was going to get. So I was trying to think of a way to honor him. You know, I thought, okay, well, there's a wonderful biography about him already. And, you know, there are countless articles written about him and he's gotten a lot more shine in the last 10 years, I'd say. 
But I couldn't find a way, Pam. I just couldn't find it. And then I just thought, okay, well, poetry is the best way because I do write poetry. But I was just so compelled. That was the only way I could think to write him or write about him. And it's funny because I, I did a lot of meditating with him, with his picture in a sacred space in my home. And I got a lot of pushback from Dr. Randolph. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I really did feel that energy. Like, wait a minute. That's what felt right. It wasn't until I decided on that medium to discuss him that I didn't feel this this kind of tension. Mm. I know that may sound a little off the wall, but I'm being real honest with you about this process. Absolutely. I believe it. And I've experienced things like that myself. So I'm on board. Yeah. And I felt the same thing with the Hoodoo Tarot. A lot of people contact me like, oh, well, why didn't you put so-and-so in there? You know, and it's like certain people just didn't want to be in there. I actually, like I mentioned, I put my cousin in one of the cards and it was actually her brother. Wow. You talk about a fabulous root worker. And I kept trying to type him and he was just like, no, mm -hmm. leave me alone. I don't want these people looking at me or even a representation of leave me alone. And I just have to go with the intuition. When I hear that, no, I don't question it. You know, when I was doing Creole Fire and, you know, I had, like I said, I had other ideas of how to approach it. And it's just, I kept hearing that. No, I just went with it. And that's how the book came to be. And also I love New Orleans. I, I used to go quite a bit, especially pre-Katrina. I haven't been back there since, but you know, it's an old city, you know, and I know he went there. So it's just like, I, I, you know, I have a fondness for him. I have a fondness for the city. I have a fondness for the history. It just feels good to me, you know? Yes. So I just wanted to put all of these different elements together and also just the history of the place and the suppressed history, of course, is always going to sneak its way into anything I do. You know, just addressing the fact that he was friends with Lincoln and but he was actually part of a society with him, you know? Mm -hmm. What society was he part of? There are different accounts. Like they say that there's a society nobody knows about. <gasps> And he and Abraham yeah. Lincoln were both part of this society? Yes. <laughs> but he was also a Rosicrucian. He was part of the Rosicrucian order with him. And he couldn't go to Lincoln's funeral, or rather he couldn't be part of the official processional because of his color. Mm. But they were very, very close. They say he cried like a baby through the whole train ride when, during Lincoln's funeral. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's just so much to this man. And like I said, you know, I mean, what's not cool about writing about a sex magician, right? I mean... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Is it just the Scorpio in me? I don't know. But I just, I found that fascinating. And I wanted to explore that part of him in Creole Fire. He's so much of a genius. There's so many different angles to write about him, you know. So I just said, okay, I'm going to really focus on the sex magician thing in relation to him being a feeling. I didn't just want him to be just kind of this cad, you know. You know, you hear sex magician, you think, oh, God, you know, this guy's going to kind of pipe his way around town and <laughs> maybe say a chant or two. But, you know, this guy had a heart. Mm -hmm. He may have been condescending to some people. You have to really read about this guy. You know, there's so many different ways, you know, you can look at him. On my Instagram, I posted about his relation to Frederick Douglass and, you know, Frederick Douglass hated him. He didn't have a good relationship with Black America at all. Huh. They just thought he was a troublemaker. You know, so he had no support. He was too black for the white folks and too white for the black folks. And of course, sort of like Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. There's a certain kind of eccentricity, a certain type of black people, black Americans that it's just too much, you know. So he was kind of the Afro-punk before there was Afro-punk, in my opinion. You know, he was doing his own thing. And, you know, 
blackness looks a certain way. Yes. If you don't do that or you don't talk like that or whatever. And, and I grew up in Midtown Manhattan, so I know all about it. So again, there are many different reasons I chose to write about Dr. Randolph. I identify with that so much, just not growing up in Hell's Kitchen and I went to nice schools and, you know, I didn't grow up in the hood. I don't have any kind of hood sensibility. So I wasn't black enough for the black people that had this experience. And, you know, it's a shame because, you know, a, a small percentage of our population is the norm or promoted as the norm. And it's just racist. Okay. Mm. And we just kind of perpetuate it. So there are so many different ways. I identify with being this character, this person, I identify with, Dr. Randolph's desperation just to be mm. without all of these projections from either side, even positive ones. So that's what made it challenging to write about him. He wanted the validation, but he wanted it from people he respected. Because he didn't respect many, <laughs> <laughs> the people that he did respect didn't see him because of something superficial, mm -hmm. whether that be his perspective on religion or his perspective on sex, or just his physicality as being a colored person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that was what made him very interesting, among many other things that can go on and on. But that's how Creole Fire was born. That was my intent, to educate people that he existed, because he's forgotten so often, and he's still forgotten. Yes. You know? Yes. And he didn't deserve that. His birthday just, just uh, passed on the 8th. That's what it's all about. And, and I really appreciate you mentioning the book, you know, and it was self-published because I just did not want to have this kind of, you know, well, poetry is hard, but I just didn't want to have to bend not even one bit with this. He's a special guy and he, and he had to go through enough bending and flexing and things of that nature. I'd like to believe that he would have been proud of it, though I do still sense a bit of <laughs> with it. <laughs> Well, I don't know how he feels about it. I absolutely adore it and I'm in awe of it. And I'm in awe of you and your work. And I just can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with me today. Before we go, I am certain people are going to want to know more about you, how to get a reading with you perhaps, and get connected to all of your books and decks. So where is the best way for people to find you? Well, if you just want kind of a daily dose of whatever this thing is called Tiana, <laughs> you can go to my Instagram at Tiana Lee McQuillar. Are you interested in ancestor reading? Contact me at T-L-M-C-Q-U-I-L-L-A-R at gmail.com. And I just have to say it again. I really, this is not about Jim Crow with me. I don't care what you look like, your race, your ethnicity, whatever. I don't care who you are. I do ancestor readings for everybody mm -hmm. and I do my best for everybody. And also use that Gmail address for any other inquiries about, you know, speaking or interviews or anything like that. Please do contact me. Let's talk. Beautiful. Well, I am so honored and so delighted to have connected with you today. Thank you so much, Tiana, for being on The Witch Wave. You're welcome. Thank you again. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Tiana Lee McQuillar for sharing her mots with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the witch wire. 
The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs, thank you Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and I by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Lara Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please do subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots and lots and lots of sparkly stars. It really, truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod, and you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more WitchWave or you just would like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.